Welcome to Plant-Based DFW with Dr. Riz and Maya. Dr. Riz Wambukari grew up in Dallas, Texas, and has been practicing vascular surgery for more than 20 years. He mainly serves the east side of Dallas and Mesquite. His primary hospital is Baylor Sunnyvale, where he formerly was the chief of surgery. Currently, he serves on the board of directors and the board of managers, and next year will be the chief of staff of the hospital. He is the owner of North Texas Vascular Center, where he offers diagnostic services and minimally invasive outpatient procedures, largely related to amputation prevention and limb salvage. Dr. Riz is a strong advocate of incorporating plant-based nutrition into his patient lifestyle modification programs. He's very involved in the organization called Plant-Based DFW, offering lectures, documentary screenings, community walks, and potlucks. Dr. Rizwan Bukhari. Hello, Dr. Riz. Hi, Maya. How are you? Let's start with getting to know you. What is a vascular surgeon? Well, a vascular surgeon is a, uh, a surgeon who operates on the blood vessels of the body uh, everywhere except the heart and in the brain. So typically it's uh, carotid artery operations or treatments, uh, the, the aorta, the uh, iliac vessels in the pelvis, the leg blood vessels, and for, for different reasons. Uh, and, and, but the vascular surgeon doesn't just operate on them. He might, might do medical management or observation of problems with these arteries. Atherosclerosis is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. Atherosclerosis of the heart is called cardiovascular disease. And so I treat that same atherosclerosis. If the plaque builds up in the arteries that supply different parts of the body, uh, then get blocked off and those parts of the body then have problems. And so by treating them, I try to improve the situation. Mm -hmm. A treatment might be an operation. Um, it might be a stent or an angioplasty, or it might be medical therapy and, and observation. Who is the typical patient that comes to see you? By the time I get somebody sent to me, they have very advanced problems. They've either got gangrene or they've got, a, uh, or they might have had some strokes uh, or, or they've got severe symptomatic disease of the legs like pain at rest or pain when they walk. These patients are typically uh, in their late 50s, 60s, and 70s. Interestingly, I've, I've seen a trend over the 20 years I've been in practice where the patients are starting to become a little bit younger. And, and that's a sign that this uh, disease, atherosclerosis, is uh, starting at an earlier age and progressing more rapidly. Therefore, we're seeing it in younger people. How is it that this disease is seen at that age? The main reason is our American diet what we call the standard American or Western diet. As it's gotten worse, according to many people's estimates, it's causing more and more problems with, uh, with atherosclerosis. The, the West, standard Western diet is high in fat, high in processed foods, uh, and very low in the healthy foods. So therefore, these processed foods and oils and cholesterol in our diet are leading to atherosclerosis in general and more advanced atherosclerosis in younger people now. What makes you different than a cardiologist? A cardiologist is someone who works on the heart. There are two specialists who work on the heart, the cardiologist and the cardiac surgeon. One primarily does the medical and interventional treatments, and the other one, the surgeon, does the surgical treatments. Whereas as a vascular surgeon, I do both the medical and interventional treatments and the surgical treatments of the arteries of the rest of the body. Are there other cases that you've worked on that are not necessarily lifestyle related or nutrition related? Oh, sure. I mean, I take care of all problems related to arteries. So I also take care of aneurysms, which is not an, uh, a narrowing problem. It's an enlargement problem. I also take care of uh, dialysis patients 
where I put in shunts for dialysis. Um, and then of course, uh, arterial injuries. I used to do a lot more trauma when I was based out of a, a trauma hospital. And fortunately for me, I'm not based at a trauma hospital anymore. So I don't get called for those, uh, gory middle of the night things where people have gunshots and stab wounds and uh, lacerated arteries and stuff like that. Before you specialized as a vascular surgeon, you had some years of doing general? Oh, yes. So typically in the past, the pathway to becoming a vascular surgeon is first you had to become a general surgeon. So I did five years of general surgery training, and then I did two years of vascular surgery training. And some people uh, who do that path will do both general surgery and vascular surgery in their career. But it had always been my intention to specialize in vascular surgery and spend 100% of my time doing vascular sur vascular surgeries and procedures that way I could you know really be considered an expert I wasn't splitting my time doing gallbladders and colons and appendixes and uh, and breast surgeries uh, and the other half doing vascular uh, I spent all my time doing vascular procedures mm -hmm. it's a, a highly specialized craft in many ways isn't it it is yeah. mm -hmm. it's so special that many people don't even know about it uh, you know, the general public doesn't. Uh, I mean, most most physicians do, and that's how I get you know patients sent to me when they recognize that there's a problem. And, and to get back to you know, uh, I did practice general surgery for a couple of years until my vascular volume became so big and overwhelming that I had to drop the general surgery. Uh, what year was that? I started in '98, and by 2000, I stopped doing general surgery. You were now needed more, like you're well, on demand. No, I think it was just that as I developed my practice. Mm -hmm. But to 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 speak to that. Uh, I will tell you that there's three times more disease out there today than there was 20 or 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the, there's, there's just an overwhelming amount of atherosclerosis out there. What do you tell your patients that are younger than the typical age group that you treat? What do you say to them? Well, the, the main message I get to them is to eat better. Most atherosclerotic disease is lifestyle and nutrition related. Uh, some of it is related to tobacco. Uh, but the, uh, in my opinion, tobacco is just one risk factor. Interestingly enough, uh, every year since 1964, which is when the Surgeon General issued a warning and put a warning on the, on the package of cigarettes about the dangers of cigarette smoking, the incidence of smoking has gone down every year since 1964. So we have the lowest incidence of smoking in the United States since 1964. But despite that, the incidence of atherosclerosis is still rising. Mm. So when people uh, blame smoking as the main cause of atherosclerosis, that's not correct. Mm. I think the main cause of atherosclerosis is our standard American diet, which has gotten worse over the last 50 years. Uh, and then smoking exacerbates that. It's right. another risk factor. Sure. How does smoking affect the arteries? Well, I think uh, the idea is that smoking, and there's, there's a, uh, hundreds if not thousands of noxious, toxic uh, compounds in tobacco smoke. It's not just the nicotine we talk about. There's a lot of things. But uh, when we in inhale that and it became, goes through our lungs and gets into our bloodstream, those toxic chemicals cause injury to the endothelial lining of the artery. The endothelial lining being the, the, the layer that is uh, protective uh, and it's also the layer that you know processes a lot of what goes in and out of these arteries. Just the same way cholesterol and lipids do lipids being fats. Here as a vascular surgeon, you see the side effects or the consequences of eating a standard American diet. And, um, and at the same time, you see the solution, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel very alone because uh, I, I, although I've heard that there might be one or two other vascular surgeons who are plant-based, I've never met one or, or spoken to one. What kind of foods did you eat when, you know, growing up? What were typical dishes in your household? Well, um, I grew up in a Pakistani family, so uh, 
it, typically it was uh, traditional Pakistani foods. In fact, I can remember growing up and, and just wishing my mom would make me spaghetti or a hot dog or a hamburger uh, <laughs> like all the other kids were eating. Uh, although probably by the time I was in uh, high school and in getting into college, my diet had transitioned more to a kind of a standard American diet uh, because I was more on my own and then I was at college. And uh, so uh, maybe a little bit Pakistani Indian food uh, to start and then transitioning more to the standard American diet uh, later. Although I will say that the the standard Pakistani diet isn't that much healthier because here in, in the United States it incorporates a lot of meat uh, and uses a lot of ghee and oil. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, it probably was no different as far as uh, its effects. Mm -hmm. And, and um, even then your mother though cooked a lot at home despite the fact that she had a career. She has a cookbook, doesn't she? Yeah, she has a cookbook of uh, Punjabi food or, or uh, Pakistani foods, uh, which uh, is wonderful. As you know, we have been trying to convert those to healthy plant-based recipes uh, by eliminating some of the bad stuff in it, like yeah. uh, eliminating the oil and the salt from it. Mm -hmm. And of course, the, uh, the meats. Yes. What I like about having met your family and learning about the you know, dishes that you guys enjoy is that uh, this was my first introduction to spices really the, the richness of the food and the spices that are found in those foods. So I'm excited to be part of developing these or enhancing the dishes a little bit more to be helpful. Yeah, I think absolutely <laughs> one of the things we, lessons we can learn from uh, Indian food is that they don't rely just on salt and pepper. And so it's very easy to eliminate salt from your diet uh, or added salt from your diet when you start using all of these other spices like mm -hmm. turmeric and cumin and cayenne. Uh, 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 black pepper, uh, coriander. Those are some of my favorite spices to use. Mm. Yeah, They're yeah. wonderful uh, spices. How did you become plant-based? You already know the story, but I'll tell everybody else out there. Uh, you dragged me to see a guy named Rip Esselstyn about five or six years ago when he was doing his uh, Engine 2 cookbook tour. I found it to be very intriguing. We went to see him at a Whole Foods uh, here in Dallas where uh, where we live. From that, uh, the next thing I did was watch the Forks Over Knives uh, documentary. At that point, it caused a little bit of uh, turmoil in my mind because this disease, atherosclerosis, which I'm an, you know considered to be an expert in treating, which I've always thought was irreversible, I was being told that through a healthy whole food plant-based diet, uh, you can actually stop the disease, uh, prevent further uh, progression of the disease, uh, and you might even be able to reverse the disease. And that's something that uh, I had not been taught. Uh, interestingly enough, and, and so I started delving further into things. Um, I read the China study, uh, and I've done more reading since. Uh, one of my favorite books is How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger, and then a lot of work by Dr. Dean Ornish, who's specifically done work on atherosclerosis and reversing heart disease, uh, work by Dr. Esselstyn, uh, uh, who has reversed heart disease as well. Uh, one thing that was really interesting to me is that Dean Ornish published his work uh, when I was in medical school. He published it in, in 1990, uh, and I didn't do my fellowship till 1998. So even though eight years prior, I, I finished my fellowship in 98, I started in 96. Six to eight years previously, he had published this data. We were still being told atherosclerosis was irreversible. And through such a simple thing as changing your diet, you can actually change the outcome of your life. It was a defining moment for me. Mm. Uh, and that then uh, made me want to become plant-based. How difficult was it for you once you decided to change your diet? Well, I wouldn't say it was difficult because uh, I had 
educated myself and informed myself, and I believed in the concept, and then I made a plan. That's what I tell people today, is educate yourself and make a plan. And so for me, my plan was to transition. I didn't go cold turkey. I didn't do it overnight. It was not that hard to do. Now, other people uh, might want to go cold turkey, but again, I still say, have a plan. You know, you can't just say, one day I'm going to be plant-based, uh, and then uh, do it, because you have to you have to educate yourself. You have to learn about what that means. Uh, you have to learn how to avoid the processed foods, the salt, the sugar, the oil, and the meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to learn how to make and prepare the meals uh, that you're going to be eating. Mm-hmm. So that just doesn't happen overnight. So mm-hmm. p- careful planning is a part of everybody's, should be a part of everybody's uh, transition. And then the speed at which you transition should be a, a personalized one. When I went plant-based, then I thought, of course, I have a duty to educate my patients about it as well. Why would I keep it from them? Talking to my patients about their nutrition is a part of, I talk about risk factors to all my patients. And so nutrition is typically a risk factor. Not only do I tell them to uh, stop smoking, but I do lifestyle and risk factor management. And part of that is, is nutritional counseling. How receptive are they? You know, it varies. It's just like everybody else. Uh, you kind of have to be ready to receive the message. But I will say that many have never heard the message before. Mm. Okay, so at least every one of them gets the message now. Mm-hmm. And then the ones who the, the light clicks, mm-hmm. uh, and then they're more open to it, and then we, we proceed. But they, they get it from me over and over again, because I, I think that uh, people give doctors a lot of credibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why also it's upsetting too to me that doctors who've never educated themselves about nutrition, when, uh, as, as a caveat, doctors don't get nutritional training in medical school or residency or fellowship. They get training in physiology. We know what calories are. We know what proteins are. We know what carbohydrates are. We know what uh, fats are. But we don't get nutritional training on the macro level. We get micronutrient training. Uh, I can tell you how many calories are, are you know, in a gram of protein or a gram of fat. Doctors who have not educated themselves about diet will just throw something out there at their patients. And th- when their belief set came from the same place that their patients did, which <laughs> is our society and our <laughs> culture and advertising, uh, and so I would, you know, uh, one of my, one of my uh, desires is to get out there and bring physicians into the fold, get them interested in learning about nutrition, and w- w- hoping they understand that uh, 80% of our chronic illnesses out there are lifestyle related, and that's primarily nutritionally related. Mm-hmm. And so if we can change people's nutrition, we can affect those, the 80% of our chronic diseases. Well, I applaud you, Dr. Riz, for having the courage to share this information with your patients because I know that there is a little bit of resistance and um, you're not forcing this, but you're giving them the truth and it's up to them to make a decision. So I really appreciate that. And I mean, I wish it was a higher number. Uh, And me being a surgeon and not a primary care doctor, I don't get to spend as much time with them in that kind of counseling respect. But uh, maybe one in 20. Uh, mm-hmm. The light bulb turns on. You also uh, partnered up recently with a Food for Life instructor, and she brought the kitchen sort of into your vascular center. Yeah. I mean, anything we can do to uh, expose people to this is uh, exciting for me. I thought it was nice. Uh, you know, in, you know, we were there to support her, in, in, and by what she's doing is educating our patients. Uh, and then I was there to answer any questions that I could. And they were definitely interested. You touch a lot on lifestyle as well. So you're in the process of studying for your boards um, so that you'll be certified in lifestyle medicine, right? 
Uh, yes, there's uh, something called the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, which was established, uh, I think, maybe in 2003 or 2004. They look at predominantly a whole food plant-based diet, but they also talk about good, getting good physical activity, adequate sleep, stress management, reducing risky behaviors like smoking and drinking, uh, promoting emotional well-being and connectivity. Uh, I like the approach this American College of Lifestyle Medicine uh, is taking and they are growing fast. Okay. So they, they, fortunately they offer a certification, uh, in lifestyle medicine. And so I'll be taking that exam and hopefully passing it, uh, <laughs> at, uh, in early November. And do you plan on implementing these ideas that you're learning or are you already doing that? Well, I already do. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I don't have to be certified, uh, in, in lifestyle medicine to do it. And so, yeah, we already, we already actively promote these things. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you and I, obviously, we kind of came to these conclusions separately before we even knew there was an ACLM. Mm -hmm. And we came to that conclusion a lot through our Blue Zones understanding mm -hmm. uh, and the lessons, uh, the, the life lessons that the Blue Zones taught us. And so many of these concepts are identical. The, the Blue Zone concepts are uh, relatively the same as uh, the ACLM. Uh, stuff that we talked that I just talked yeah. about. Yeah. So you're wearing your Walk with the Doc shirt today. Tell us about that. Uh, so Walk with the Doc. Uh, originally, uh, we started uh, local walks just on our own, uh, and we called it Walk and Talk with Dr. Riz. Um, and then uh, we had the opportunity uh, to become a, a local chapter of Walk with the Doc, which is a national organization. I think they have hundreds of local chapters throughout the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, what we do now is one Saturday a month. Right now, it's the third Saturday of the month at 8 a.m. Uh, we uh, get together and walk with uh, people from our community. Uh, and anybody's invited to join, uh, and you get to walk with the doctor, talk to him about anything, ask him anything. Uh, and it's just a way to encourage and teach people uh, about uh, uh, how good walking is as an activity. And before, right before we walk, I usually give a, just a short five-minute blurb on some health-related topic. What has been the, um, the feedback on the walks? We've had good turnouts, uh, both with uh, new faces uh, and also people from our community who want to come out and support. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm, I'm uh, encouraged by both. Now, if somebody wants to join one of your walks, how do they even find out where? Uh, you can go to plantbaseddfw.com, and that's where I send everybody for all of our resources, for our podcast, for our YouTube channel, for our Instagram accounts, uh, all of the, uh, for our Facebooks. We have a resources page that has all that stuff on it. What would be a quick uh, description of what whole food plant-based means? So I think that means that you're eating the food in its uh, closest to its natural state. Uh, and that would be whole grains, legumes, fruits, vegetables, nuts, uh, minimally processed. Even noodles are considered a little bit processed. Mm -hmm. White rice is processed, so brown rice, not white rice. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's just kind of the basis for that. You were recently in the first issue of the Veg World Dallas magazine. They featured me as uh, in their ongoing series, uh, Dallas Most Interesting Vegans. Uh, so uh, I guess I'm honored uh, that they think I'm interesting. Uh, and so, yeah, there was a little article in there about me. Uh, yeah, Dr. Tuttle was in it. And one of my uh, heroes that I told you about earlier, Dr. Ornish, was in that, uh, that same issue. You do speaking engagements as well. What are you doing next? And where do you typically speak? Yeah, I, this is gaining momentum. It's, got like a, it's like a snowball rolling downhill. At first, we were organizing our talks and inviting people. Uh, and now it's gotten to the point where, uh, you know, we're, we're being invited to give talks at a lot of places. 
Uh, and so again, I think that's, that speaks to the fact that the word is getting out and there is interest. And so we try to uh, uh, accommodate everybody's request. In October, I'm speaking at Peaceful Planet Foundation's uh, uh, retreat uh, that's organized by the Chowlas from Houston. And I'm gonna be speaking on cardiovascular disease uh, the University of North Texas in Denton has invited me to speak. This year you spoke at your alma mater, um, UT Southwestern. I was fortunate to have uh, met a medical student who uh, has a strong interest in uh, lifestyle medicine, uh, and she worked with some others there to get a preventive medicine and lifestyle medicine interest group going, uh, and then they invited me to be their first speaker. What was that like, Dr. Riz, to come back to a school where you, when you were in training, didn't have this information? It's really exciting. I mean, I think... Uh, and I'll tell you two things. Number one, medical students are important in my mission. Uh, but it was exciting for me to, I actually got went back and I gave a lecture in one of the lecture halls where I sat for eight hours a day for months on end. Uh, so it was kind of nostalgic being back there. Uh, and I was the one lecturing to the medical students. Um, uh, and so it was, it was nicely attended. And, uh, and I'll tell you that there might have been about uh, 50 students and faculty in, in, the, uh, uh, in the crowd. And that's 50 more than knew about plant-based nutrition when I was in medical school. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's quite a start. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is happening all over the country in medical schools everywhere. And one of, my, one of my missions is to not only recruit physicians and other healthcare workers into the fold here, but is also to speak to the medical students and try to, try to get them to understand the importance of plant-based nutrition. Because I know that they are the future of medicine and, and their patients are gonna look to them for education on nutrition. And, and I do think that there is a strong movement at the medical student level, and, and I want to help uh, promote that. If you had to recommend one book or one film, what would that be? So the first thing I would tell them to do is to watch Forks Over Knives. I think that's one of the things that's helped uh, start this more recent revolution. Uh, that it came out in 2011, but it's still relevant today. Uh, and so that's what I would say to watch. That's a good and easy way to just initiate your education. Uh, and then the first, the first book I re usually recommend to people is uh, How Not to Die by Dr. Michael Greger. Mm -hmm. I think it's extremely well written, it's well organized, and it's understandable, uh, and it speaks to people. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, there are all the other books that you know, we have, but uh, like The China Study is the first one I read, but I don't usually recommend that's the first book for people. Mm -hmm. There are things that you're very passionate about that are not related to work or giving lectures. Tell us what you enjoy doing when you're off. Oh, well, when I get a chance, uh, I'm crazy about sailing. Uh, but my sailboat is in a different state, so I don't get to go as often as I'd like. Where's your sailboat? Uh, it's in Florida. Okay. Yeah, and narrowly, narrowly escaped uh, the recent hurricane uh, <laughs> safely, thank goodness. I'm a sci-fi fanatic. I used to read a lot of books. Now I just watch a lot of sci-fi TV shows. I'm uh, uh, teaching myself to play the guitar. Oh. I, I only took that on uh, in my uh, 40s, late 40s. All right, so what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, I think uh, just like I said earlier, um, our one common place for all of our resources is plantbaseddfw.com. Uh, from there, you can find out about all of the different things we do. It has our, our events. It has our podcasts. I would encourage that as a starting point for anybody mm -hmm. who wants to learn more. Yeah. And then it's got plenty of links, uh, and you can branch out from there. Well, thank you, Dr. Riss. I know that you have a very uh, busy schedule. I know this. So I appreciate you having given us this time to get to know you a little bit better. My pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Riz and Maya with Plant-Based DFW.